Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thank you for joining me and being part of my community. This is really a community where we are supporting each other and being able to tap into the spiritual power that we have to understand that we are connected to a greater a, a greater source of healing and knowledge and that each week we have these inspirational conversations where we can be reminded of who we really are and the great potential that we have to heal, transform, and to really connect ourselves to the heart of love. So thank you again for joining me. And if you are listening for the first time, I invite you to go to my website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman. And if you opt in there, you'll get all of my archive shows. They'll be sent right to you, so you won't miss any of them. And I actually have a second program on Progressive Radio Network called What Women Must Know, which is focused more on all sorts of facets of uh, holistic and alternative healing, and you'll get that show as well. So great opportunities to keep yourself educated and inspired, especially these days. That's what it's all about. So we're going to be having a fantastic conversation today. I'm so excited about my guest and the inspiration that she will be sharing with us. We're talking about how to turn hardship in one's life into profound personal growth. And my guest is Dr. Nala Kadaj Budiab. And let me just say a little bit about Dr. Nala. She is the COO of AM Bank and head of Women Empowerment for the World Union of Arab Bankers. As the first woman holding this title in Lebanon, Nala is a widely renowned expert in building innovative, collaborative, and highly resilient organizations. She earned her doctorate from the University of Liverpool for her research on spirituality in the organization and has been recognized with the highest honors, earning seven awards for leadership excellence. And she is the author of her newest book, Untamable, Claim Your Power, Live fearlessly and become unstoppable. Wow, sounds like a great topic for today. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Nala Kadaj Budiab to the show. Dr. Nala, thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm honored to be on your show. And thank you for all you do for women. I'm really grateful. Well, you're. You are so welcome, and here we are. We're all working together out of our purpose and passion to step into being all that we can be. You have such an interesting story, an interesting journey through life, and certainly have attained quite a high recognition for the work you do. And I, I, I always like to start at the very beginning. Because I, I find it fascinating to hear people's stories, and I think people's stories are the most inspirational uh, narrative we have and how we move through life and how we learn and achieve and overcome. So you have a really interesting story, and I was wondering if you could share it with us to begin with today. Of course. So I've had uh, some great opportunities uh, in terms of having very intense events unfolding in my life. Uh, I grew up, uh, I was born in Lebanon, and as a child, we immigrated as a family to Canada. Uh, and that exposed me to uh, to the experience of integrating into a new country, 
uh, knowing exactly how it feels to be rejected uh, by, by a new society. Uh, I got to experience bullying. Uh, I grew up in Canada. Uh, I, had to, I had a really difficult time trying to uh, kind of uh, create a balance between my Canadian side and my Lebanese side. Uh, my father uh, played a major role in my life because of the, the of his social belief system. So my father believed that women uh, should not get an education. Uh, he had a certain scope in his mind uh, as to the, the the role of women in our society. Uh, so when I was 17 and I finished high school, I've always dreamed that high the education will be my freedom. This is what's going to define what I can do in life. And I think one of the most important events in my life is when I, uh, when I was told by my dad that uh, there's no reason for me to actually get an education because I'm a woman. And that unfolded a totally new, uh, a new world for me because here I was now having to work, uh, but I decided that there's, there has to be a way. I was simply not going to just stop learning and, and not get an education at 17 years old. And this launched my, my career, which was um, also filled with intense events. So I started uh, working at 17 years old. Uh, by the time I was 21, I was already a national manager in Canada. I went searching for uh, educational programs that I could do while working. And the only program that was available, I remember back then, uh, was business administration, which was not really what I dreamed of doing, but it was better than nothing. So I did that. Uh, it took me eight years to graduate because I was studying at night. Uh, and then throughout my career, I ended up uh, working in a consulting firm uh, that changed my life uh, because it pushed me to actually forget what I what I'd achieved in the past and realized that I was nothing but the knowledge and the contribution I make to others. Uh, and that was an intense part of my experience as well. Then I did my MBA, which took me about six years. <laughs> and then I just hmm. finished wow. my doctor's degree only a couple of years ago. So I've, I've never really had a year where I was not enrolled in a, in a formal educational program. Uh, the events of my life were, were very interesting because uh, they were filled with challenges, with hardship, and there was many of them. So I think people can relate because it's not really my story. It's the story of a lot of people. Right. What, um, what, what has been your father's, what was your father's response to his daughter going on and getting all this higher education? Did things change in your relationship with him? You know, um, although although my father's beliefs had an impact on the depth of my experiences, but uh, I, in the last 10 years, uh, we actually became quite close. And the reason for this closeness is because I decided not to be a detail in this relationship, and I pulled myself out of it, and I started feeling compassion towards him because I felt that he must have been suffering uh, with all these thoughts controlling his behavior. I mean, it's not easy for a father uh, to be driven by uh, social 
um, certain social conformities that he wanted to do, uh, instead of focusing on experiencing love for his daughter or for his family. So actually my relationship with my dad was quite good in the last 10 years. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, about two years ago, so he didn't really see the book because the book was actually a healing process for me. I have total compassion for my father, uh, total uh, forgiveness for anything that I thought was, was hurtful uh, because I know that that was not the intention at all. And in fact, I look at my father as the victim in this equation. It's not me. Be- because he was so wedded to the culture that his, he came from and his ancestors came from. Because, yes, exactly, because, because he gave up his powers to society. And then he became a, a robot driven uh, to, with, with one focus, conformity and respect of that social uh, background. Right, right. You know, I, I think it's always a challenge when people come from one culture and then they enter into a new world with a totally different set of values. It's, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to accept new values. It's difficult to leave behind old ways. And it's a very confusing time, I would imagine. Yes, and, and uh, those experiences are typically driven by a lot of fears. So my father was terrified that, that we're going to integrate with the Canadian society. And I think all the, the, the difficulties I was subjected to in Canada was basically uh, driven by the fear of my colleagues or you know people, we, people I knew in Canada that simply were not ready uh, to accept uh, a young Lebanese girl that didn't speak the language uh, and that brought her own culture into the equation. So everything that is uh, aggressive is typically driven by fear. It's not driven because it's not driven by the people's uh, characters, let's say. So when I look at a situation, it's never about someone being bad or someone being good. It's about how scared is this person that's being so hostile and aggressive. So all mm-hmm. the negative behaviors that we we see uh, are all driven by fear. And I think it, it changes things when you start looking at, at the situation from that perspective. So what I find really interesting is your... PhD, your doctorate, which you did the research on spirituality in the organization. Tell us about that, Nala. That's a really interesting focus to have for a PhD. Well, you know, this this uh, this doctorate degree is really important to me because uh, it was very challenging to actually get the topic approved by the university. I mean, the term spirituality is not really um, a, a comfortable term for a lot of institutions. So the, the, first, I want to I tell you why I, I selected this topic. So as, as, I, as I went through life, I got to a stage where I just, you know, when you sit and you just rewind your life and you try to figure out what did you learn, what do you understand, and I realized something really important. There was this pattern, this consistent pattern that was unfolding in my life. And I saw this pattern unfolding with every difficult uh, situation I dealt with. I saw it unfolding with every suffering experience that I've endured. 
And I also saw that that pattern of the behavior of, of life in, included several elements that were always there. So there was a clear relationship between my thoughts, between uh, my perspective, my actions, and the result of the situation. And so I was able to, to, to depict clearly that there are certain thoughts that, uh, that drive certain actions that lead to certain results. And first I thought it was just me. And I started thinking, am I special? Why do I feel these things? When I decided to do my doctor's degree, I realized that it's not me. It's all of us. It's humanity. We have certain powers that we're not aware of. We don't know how to use them because we forgot that they're there. And I decided that I wanted to do research on actually introducing certain emotions within the organization that would drive people to discover their powers. And this was initially my aim. It was, it was uh, this shifting from a place where people would actually give credibility to the information you're providing instead of just being this you know, emotional, spiritual human being that is talking. I wanted to provide evidence that this is real. And, the, and this has been proven scientifically because, you know, people love science. Uh, they love the formulas. They love something that's proven because we, we're actually programmed into uh, linking truth only with what is deemed scientific. And I wanted to do that. I wanted people to take this seriously. So I embarked on this research, and this was actually an action research. So it wasn't only about theories that I compiled, that I tested. I implemented the research in my organization. And it yielded tremendous results, tremendous results. And this was my way of saying, this is very serious. If you want your organizations to outperform, if you want organizations to be resilient, because now this is key in our changing environment, you need to look at this and you need to, to explore opportunities of activating people within your organization instead of driving them like robots. So that was really the, <laughs> the main force behind that, uh, behind my research. Well, I find that really curious. So you did this with your bank? Is that the organization that you were sampling? I did. They were your guinea pigs? So I, I so actually I, I implemented find, it at the bank. Well, so, so um, you know, I find workplaces really uh, so interesting. And uh, I've done work with um, relationships. And uh, one one of the uh, people that I've really been inspired by and have done some work with is Dr. Harville Hendricks, who works. I don't know if you've come across him, Dr. Harville Hendricks, and he um, he works with relationships and healing relationships. And he started his work with couples, and then went on and takes his principles into schools with children and into the workplace because ultimately. Any place we go, we're working out our unresolved <laughs> emotional issues, primarily based with our family members, right? <laughs> right. Definitely. And and I, I, I want to hear what you're doing. I just want to add that what he was, what his passion, what his work was about, and in, in getting people to listen to each other and just be heard, 
which is one of the wounds that we carry as children in our families, we're not really heard and validated, was for the greater goal of healing the world. Because if you can heal the relationships, which will reappear, the woundedness in, a rela- in your family's relationship will reappear in every sphere of your life. <laughs> It'll show up exactly. in your workplace, in your spiritual community, with your friends, right? You're, you'll be running the same patterns, which are causing anger, frustration, and ill health. And the goal is to heal it within ourselves and find more peace and more love. So anyway, having said that, I'm really I'm really curious to hear what you were doing with this spirituality and organization thesis in your bank. Okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to all the work that is being done by so many people. I think there's so many people in our world today. It's such a beautiful time to be alive because we're talking about topics that we were just uh that were not accepted years ago. Uh so you you actually see so many different people applying different strategies. Uh but all of them are aimed to achieve the same thing. They're aimed to to help us uncover our powers, heal and uh start feeling love towards anything and anyone around us. So um, first, I want to when 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 I when if you read my thesis uh, on spirituality in the organization, I spend a lot of time defining what I mean by the term spirituality because there's so many definitions to it. When you say spirituality, some people may think you're sitting doing yoga, others may think it's religion. Uh, so there are a lot of definitions to the term spirituality. The scope of the spirituality that I tackled in my research was. Uh, defined as a sense of belonging and connectedness uh, to each other and to the creator and to the universe. And so that was the definition. It's a, it was a spirituality totally independent from religion. Now, having said mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, I did this in a, in a setting in Lebanon where the country is fueled by religious uh, uh, separation. Uh, there's been wars about religions throughout the history of Lebanon. So it was really interesting because that particular definition of the spirituality brought everyone together. Now, in my case, I simplified the methodology I was implementing. It was really quite simple. I wanted to ensure that we have processes within the organizations um, that triggered love for each other. It was that simple. Now, the work that went into this was huge, but the main intention was if I was able to, tre- to trigger love, then I would be able to trigger collaboration, I would be able to trigger teamwork, I would be able to retain the talent because it was a beautiful environment, it was a healing environment, I would be able to create strong connections within the team. And that was my, my main objective. And it started off with our recruiting uh, strategies. So we were very, very careful, very picky about who we allow into the environment because we wanted people that have been through life uh, and have been through situations where they feel that this is the right time for them now to to work in such a setting. Uh, so the timing uh, in relation to your, to your own life cycle is really important. So we had the, the proper recruiting processes that ensured that only those that uh, see the value of this environment 
are actually recruited into the environment. And then we brought it down into all of our processes. Even if you look at the evaluation system that we apply at the bank, uh, it's a very unique way of evaluating the outputs. Um, for example, I'm the COO, but I evaluate no one. It was, it's, it's mostly driven by uh, achievement and the support and the collaborative things, the collaborations that they do with each other. And actually, it is those KPIs that transmit their performance. It's, it's quite a beautiful setting. So we don't suffer from issues in retention of talent because it's our culture that retains the talent. Um, we don't throw uh, money at every problem we see because we recognize that uh, money will, will, may give you a temporary fix, but it doesn't sustain. We focus on inner evolution, um, the way we make decisions, the brainstorming sessions, the topics we discuss. The word love is very common in the vocabulary of the people that work in this uh, institution. Um, I've even gone as far as creating a well-being program and it was all aimed about uh, discovering who we are spiritually. And that program was implemented to people that volunteered at the bank. And so my first group, there was about uh, 15 people. And it was amazing, you know, the state of mind of how we started and who they ended up becoming after the, the well-being program. So this is really, uh, an, uh, it, this is about Unleashing human potential. It's about being able to clearly talk about love, to clearly express our need to love each other and everyone else. It's about uh, being totally aware of the hurdles that may pull people apart. This is about ensuring there's no separation within this organization. And it's, uh, you know, in a way, I created the environment uh, that I flourish in because I can't go to a, a place where there's no love, where there's no, where we don't talk about the deep, uh, the deep concepts of life. And so in this institution, these are the discussions. And it's something really beautiful to experience. And I'm really curious to know two things. What was the outcome in your department? And what was the outcome for the people participating in this program for them? What what happened to them and what happened as far as your the business side of things, the effectiveness and success of the corporate side? Well, uh, actually, my next book is just about that. It's about the transformation that you can achieve by implementing spirituality in the organization. Uh, but on the level of, of my institution, uh, the, insti the institution went, uh, I can't, it's, it's just mind-boggling, the results. All the, in the thesis, the thesis, I presented several KPIs that I used to prove and to provide evidence that there was drastic improvement. But on the institution level, the institution is a totally different uh, institution today. Uh, the caliber of the people that manage this, this uh, organization are totally uh, different than, than anyone, uh, any other institution that competes with it. So the skill set is different. We have international standard individuals running the, the bank. 
the quality of the people we attract is totally uh, different. Uh, the standard of the bank itself has shifted. The bank is receiving awards uh, every year. Uh, they, we received multiple awards for performance. This year we received an award for the most resilient bank in the country. Uh, all the typical issues that organizations are struggling with, such as uh, retention, such as cost, uh, we don't experience uh, with the efficiency ratios of the bank are optimum. In fact, international standard, uh, the retention rate is optimum, the achievement rate is optimum, the actual performance of the bank is optimum, uh, and the bank has received multiple international awards every year since we implemented this as a recognition of, the, of their achievement. So mind-boggling, mind-boggling. <laughs> you know, uh, it's so exciting to hear the results. When you're talking, it reminds me that you know, one way to say this, it's, it's bringing the feminine energy into a business environment, right? So it's that nurturing, it's honoring of each other, it's, you know, compassion and being able to bring those those values and bring them forth from people in a safe where it's safe to be able to do that. I think in a lot of corporate settings you're not even allowed to show any any emotion, right? It could be a weakness. And you've encouraged and it's it's a beautiful I was gonna say it's a beautiful model of bringing the feminine model of relationships and business into action. Absolutely. And and you know what? I thought that if I would go and talk to a chairman of a big organization and start talking about the importance of spirituality in the organization, no one is going to be willing to look at this very seriously. And this is why I wanted to link it to the bottom line. I wanted to link it to performance achievement because this would be a way of gaining interest from the executive level of organizations. So if you don't want to do it, for quality of life in your organization, do it for the money. I don't care why you do it. Let's just do it. And that was the aim behind implementing it in an organization. And at the end of the day, all of us spend eight to nine hours a day in our work work environment. This is where this is where it needs to be fixed. So, why do you think that you had such profound improvement in performance and outcome uh, implementing this this model of of you know of caring and compassion of of putting values on connectedness what how do you define the, the success of the business side of things it's very very simple uh, typically since the industrial economy organizations uh, look at their people as robots and numbers and so uh, we, we tend to suppress our employees. Now, uh, some more than others, but at the end of the day, uh, when you come into an organization uh, and you, you punch in to, to say, I've arrived to work, and you're requested to focus on a very specific scope, uh, and there are boundaries that prevent you from, you know, from unleashing uh, your passion, and there are boundaries preventing you from talking about your emotions. Uh, we're turning uh, humans into robots. So all I did 
is I simply decided that people are untamable. We're full of love. We need love. We need collaboration. We need communication. We need to help each other. Those are basic human needs. All I did is I said, I don't want robots. And I removed all the suppression from the bank, from the people in the bank. And it became an environment that people walked into to unleash their passion. So it was an environment where uh, people felt that they were whole. Because we tend to, the way we run organizations, we tend to create separation on the level of our people. So you are someone totally different when you're home with your loved ones than when you walk into the organization. When you walk into the organization, you have to have your guard on because you need to be careful. Uh, You have to always watch your steps. You have to make sure you don't cross the boundaries. Well, all I did is I removed all this. And I said, this is an environment without boundaries. The only rules are you have to be capable of accepting love and sharing love. Those are the only rules. Come and be who you are. We get very selective who we allow in, yes. But it's about unleashing the passion of people. When you unleash passion, you're going to achieve totally different results. And I think we all know this. We just have a hard time figuring out how to do it, whether with our kids or, our, um, or with the people we work with. I, we did it, and I documented it how it's done, and now I want to encourage everyone to try it because this is how organizations need to be managed now. I love it. You know, uh, it makes so much sense, of course, when you talk about what the real goal is of the environment and what the real healing is and how when people can feel safe and loved and valued, you can bring out the best in them. Definitely. Definitely. This is why we're here. I think there is, you know, yesterday I was, um, I did an interview yesterday and I used an example that I would love to repeat because as I was talking about it, I realized how meaningful it was and how reflective it is of our situation. If if you permit me, I'd like to share this with you because it may give people a sense of recognizing exactly how we're living and the situation we're stuck in. So if you were fighting a war and you look at your opponent and you realize that your opponent has a lot more weapons than you do, and if your opponent decides to use them, you don't stand a chance. What would be the only strategy to win the war? To distract your opponent, to make sure you keep them busy, to deplete their energy so that they never notice their weapons. And this is how we're living life today. We are human beings. We have incredible powers. Yet, we're too busy fighting off little wars so we don't even recognize the powers. We, we get stuck in life events. We, we, get, we suffer. We get ill. We feel pain. We run. We take meditation to numb our pain. We deplete it. And this is our situation today. So it's time for people to recognize who they are. And this is a beautiful time to do that because if people wanted scientific evidence for this, well, today it's all there. All we need to do is learn how to calm our thoughts and become the masters of our reality so that we can activate our powers 
and live a fulfilled life and, and do the things we came on earth to do, which is to experience, to love, to learn, to share, and to, and to love and to be stuck in this cycle. This is why we're here. And it's feasible and it's simple. And this is why in my book, I actually illustrated the events of my life and then I talked about the principles that I'm proposing. And I actually took my reader to the events to show and to illustrate how I applied these principles. And I went farther than this. I illustrated to them what would have happened had I not applied these principles and had I just reacted to life, which is typically what's done today. It's time to, to discover who we are because we should not be suffering the way we are today. Absolutely, and I, I want you to talk more about your book. But before we do that, I, I just have one other question I'm curious about. When you implemented the program with your group in the bank, so you shared how much performance improved for the bank and how the bank has been acknowledged because it's excelled in so many areas because the people have changed. I'm really curious, what's happened to those people? Did they get, um, for instance, were they get healthier? Did they uh, find that they had better relationships at home? What were some of the outcomes for the people, the individuals themselves, by working with this, you know, these values of connectedness and love? Uh, a lot of them stopped taking medication because, you know, we, we live in a very high-pressured environment. Lebanon is, is going through one of the, you know, some of the, the worst uh, experiences in its history. Uh, so the first thing that happened uh, is that this team did not leave the country while a lot of qualified Lebanese actually left the country. This team felt that regardless of what is going on in the country, regardless of how difficult it is, uh, finding an environment where you can find your truth, where you can express and feel love, is not a very common thing, and they're holding on to it. So this is very important. Uh, a lot of people uh, are no longer uh, taking medication for a lot of the, the, you know, a lot of issues that they've been having. And so I've, I've personally seen uh, several of my management team that have shifted from uh, traditional medicine and just running to, you know, to take medication to, for example, homeopathy, which is not common in Lebanon, but which is available to us. Uh, so there was that shift. Uh, everyone that made a shift from traditional medicine, uh, so to speak, uh, took, shifted their families with them as well. Uh, I can definitely tell you they are healthier on the physical uh, side. And when you're healthier, if your body... If your body is healthy, if you're physically well, you're going to have more energy. You're going to be, you're going to be able to you feel better. And so uh, that has happened. Um, the whole environment of the bank is different because now we see people asking for events. Um, let's get together and do hiking on an organizational level. Now, this may, this may seem quite normal to, 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 to smaller organizations. But typically, a bank in Lebanon would typically have a very rigid structure where people don't do things with each other. So in our case, so actually, it's so interesting to see them run to the organizational environment 
to feel good. Usually it's the other way around. People can't wait to leave their work environment to go home. In our case, it's exactly the opposite. So one of the most, um, one of the biggest problems I have is that I need to force people to take vacations. And people will ask typically to, you know, give up the vacation or I, you know, I don't want to take three weeks. Can I just take uh, five days? And I keep reminding everyone that at the end of the day, you need time away from work because although you love this place, but you're working and you need time away to just nurture your non-physical dimension. And this should happen, uh, and, and you need to take the time for that. Well, you know, that is so exciting, I have to say, to really have put this um, thesis into action of spirituality in your organization and then to see the ramifications of the business side improving, but more importantly, the, the quality of people's lives that they are happier. And you really get to see how our culture and the values in our culture have created the outcomes that we have now and what we're living with, with the stress and the illness and the uh, you know, the disconnect and the closing down. And what's possible when you put different values and teach people, you know, share people, guide people into a new way that they can be relating to each other and to their environment. I think that's the transformation that we are needing right now. And and that is occurring. Your work is really inspirational, Nala. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's, you know, I everything that we do, we do because there is this this deep need for us to not only be happy, but to be happy among a community of happy people. It's not enough for one person to figure it out and and feel good. It's impossible to feel good permanently unless there's a group of people around you who all feel good. When you see suffering, you're going to suffer. And this is the reality of who we are. And I think this is beautiful, actually. And we should, it's time to start building on that. You know, you know, I want to share with you the challenge when I started this. Now, can you imagine being in a bank and you're talking about spirituality? The, the, the judgments I used to get from outside my organization were overwhelming. How can a weak, emotional woman be managing a bank? And it was like uh, when you expressed any indication of, of love, emotions, you know, those... Uh, those beautiful characteristics of humanity, it was perceived by people outside the bank as a weakness until they saw, until they saw what the bank became. And one, one really important component here is that uh, I'm so grateful to the owners of the bank. I mean, I have a chairman who allowed me to do this. This is huge. People, people don't realize how huge this is for, for a man who owns a bank to, to kind of allow uh, this transformation. Because, you know, when you start doing the work, you don't start making money immediately. You don't see it in your ratios in two days. It takes several years for it to, trans, to, to, to be transmitted into your, into your KPIs. It took several years for the bank to transform itself. It's not a 24-hour thing. And it takes courage mm-hmm. from the people that own the bank to support you and to allow you to go through that process and to believe that this is the right thing to do. 
Well, you know, kudos to him and kudos to you for the courage to take on this project and, you know, not knowing exactly what was going to occur, but believing in what you were doing. And, you know, you're on a mission and obviously it's a very strong sense of purpose for you. And it must have been very exciting to embark upon this, to really see it in action, right? You take your theory and then you put it into a practical application and you see this amazing transformation that has occurred within every aspect of that, you know, that work environment, every aspect. So, uh, you know, so, you know um, congratulations for Thank showing you. what's possible. What real strength is, what, you know, how... What what really creates success, right? And what really creates success, it isn't about the hard work and fighting to get to the top. It's the cooperative uh, environment, a supportive environment where everyone everyone wins, everyone thrives. It's you know I think uh, in our society we do things the opposite way. So we focus on telling people what we want and giving them the rules because we're terrified that we might lose control over them. Um, mm-hmm. And and we we start managing them, and then we're not satisfied because we want to beat them up to do the right thing and to think the right way. When the way it should happen is all you have to do is unleash their love and passion. That's all you have to do. And you'll have a tsunami of ideas, and you'll have incredible performance. But it does mean that as a leader, you need, to be stop, you need to stop being afraid of losing control. This is a big problem in, our, in the leadership model that we have. We want to discipline and suppress people uh, because we want them to, you know, to optimize their performance. Well, that doesn't happen. The only reason we want to discipline and control people is because we're terrified of what they could do if we don't suppress them but we're not designed to be tamed and so eventually we're going to have issues and this is why people end up leaving and this is why we start talking about retention problems and we start talking about adding more benefits we're stuck in this cycle when if you really want to solve it you must unleash the passion of your team and it's the only solution and that takes courage because it means you're deciding to let go of your ego. You're deciding mm-hmm. not to bring your ego forth in managing the organization. You need to tame the ego, get it out of the way, allow yourself to feel love, and not be afraid of acknowledging that you feel love. Because people link love with weakness. So there's a lot of issues in, in the perception and how we've linked certain meanings with certain words. When you talk, when you say love to me, I think of a tsunami of emotions that that can create incredible, uh, incredible performance. Uh, when you say love to someone else in an organizational setting, they probably think, "Oh, it's weak, it's emotional." So we need to relook at the at, at how we define certain terms. And love is power. Let's start using it inside the organization. So, in your book, Untamable claim your power, live fearlessly, and become unstoppable, you have some guidance, some guidelines, some inspiration for people 
who are reading the book, not necessarily in business, just people with their lives. And I'm just wondering if you can share some of the um, insights or tips or wisdom that you have in this book that you want to pass on to people. Okay. Well, one thing that's very important for me to note is that what I wrote in the book was not actually a theory that I came up with. It was basically a documentation of exactly what I did to achieve the results I achieved. And as I documented the pattern, as I documented the process uh, and the way I, I, I thought and the perspective of things, I realized that there was five key principles that were always dominating my success stories. The first one was the notion of gratitude. Gratitude is an incredibly positive emotion and everyone uh, should take the time to think of the things they're grateful for. And for me, the mere fact that we, have, we are privileged to be on Earth, experiencing the beauty of Earth, that by itself is enough to be grateful. And then you add to it all the things you're grateful for. When you start feeling gratitude, you will unleash a number of positive emotions. And this is where you want to stay. You want to spend your whole day feeling only positive emotions. Gratitude puts you in the right place to actually have these positive emotions. The second myth, which is also very important, it's the notion of observing instead of being a detail in the event. Because your perspective has a great deal of implication on the actions you decide to do, on your decisions. So if you're looking at a, hard, at a very difficult situation and you're seeing yourself a victim playing out with, with all these events playing out in your life, your emotions and the decisions you're going to make will be very different. You're going to be focusing on your fears and how you're going, you need to uh, you know, run away from these fears and you're going to waste your energy on uh, acting out uh, certain activities that do not serve you. However, if you're looking at it from a different perspective and you're observing yourself behave, you will have a different view of what you need to do and you won't take anything personally. So the possibility of having negative emotions uh, get triggered in your life will be minimal because you're not personalizing every event you go through. The third item is the importance of taking care of our non-physical dimension. You know, I did, uh, I did a workshop um, a few months ago, and I had people in the workshop do an exercise where they simply list the activities of a typical day. And they go back and they label them. So they define which activity is aimed at nourishing their physical body and which activity is aimed at nourishing the, the, the spiritual dimension, the non-physical. And I was shocked that none of the participants had a ranking of over 2% for the non-physical dimension. Can you imagine? Most people will spend their whole day taking care of their bodies, but they don't take care of their spiritual self. And I emphasize in the book that we're talking about a lifestyle change here. And you need to change the way you're living. You cannot neglect your spiritual dimension. The same way you go to the gym to ensure that you are caring for your physical body, 
you must dedicate some time to care for the spiritual dimension and to nourish it. And that is really crucial for you to ignite your power. Then I talk about the importance of dreaming. Because, and there's been so many books written about, you know, visualizing and dreaming. And all of these notions that I discuss in my book, they've been proven scientifically by very credible authors and scientists. But we need to reach a state where we calm our thoughts enough to be able to tap into this knowledge. So dreaming is an incredible human functionality. And I really believe that the first step in achieving is dreaming. And dreaming is an activity that I used to do every day as I was growing up. And the more difficult the events were, the more I spent time dreaming of who I wanted to be and where I'm going to uh, and what contribution will I make and what life would I actually lead. Um, The fifth item was releasing expectations because all of these, you know, these, these principles I find to be equally important. Releasing expectations is really important because if we do things, um, if we do acts of kindness, for example, and we expect something from the person who received this kindness, we're going to be disappointed. And disappointment is, uh, is a negative emotion. You don't want to feel disappointed because if I feel disappointed, then I'm probably not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be giving to that person again. So the notion of releasing expectations stems from the fact that what we do, all kind acts that we do, we do them for us, not for the receiver of those acts. When you do good, you feel good. And the whole idea is we must live a lifestyle that keeps us feeling positive emotions all the time. This is how we ignite our powers, and this is how we achieve happiness. And in fact, in the book, I offer a lot of exercises that I ask the reader to do simply for them to get to know themselves and to bring out their emotions to the table so that they can see them. And so those five guiding principles were, they are my guiding principles. I apply them every day of my life. I teach them to my children who are young men now. They are principles that apply at the bank. Anytime there's an issue that I'm dealing with on an, on, on an employee level, I talk about these five principles. They are a fundamental part of the well-being program I created, and I ask people uh, that have taken the program to come up with a routine to ensure that they embed these principles in their day-to-day life. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, I think that um, being guided by those principles are really the principles that will help everyone live their life to the fullest, you know, and fill their life with more healing energy and more joy and more possibilities. It's just being reminded of those simple guidelines and to make sure we, you know, follow through and implement them every day. Yeah, You know, in, in, in the book, I actually illustrate how I implemented them because I think I think the how-to component is very important. There's nothing Mm -hmm. in the book that people would disagree with. We all know these five principles. This is nothing new. What I've tried to do in the book is illustrate the implementation because one of the most important gaps that we seem to be facing, and I see this from people I work with, is 
the ability to bridge the gap between knowing and doing. We all know that gratitude is important, but how do we implement it? And I, I took the time in the book to basically say, come and let me show you how I implemented it in this particular event. And look what would have happened had I not implemented it. So I think the how-to component is very important uh, because it, it dictates a change in behavior, a change in perspective. And that's not easy for people to do unless, uh, unless they're guided as to how to do it. And, and one thing that's really important to me is that we tend to, we went to adopt these principles when we, when we get sick. So it's as if we go through this life struggling and then when we're hit with a big problem, this is when we become spiritual. This is when we start searching for ourselves. I wrote the book in a very simple manner because I would like teenagers to read it. I want them to start life on the right track. Why go through life and suffer to, to, and then try to find solutions? Why? Let's activate the power of our youth now. Let them enjoy their life from the beginning. Let them learn these techniques now so that they can experiment with them and apply them to their lives. Well, it's a wonderful vision. I, I think we can start it in kindergarten, if not earlier <laughs> as well. <laughs> and right at the very beginning. Um, so so um, we're right there at the end of our program. I just want people to know where to go, how they can get your book, how can they learn more about you, uh, and um, people can know about your website, which is, I'll tell people the website address, which is Nala, N-A-H-L-A, uh, B-O-U-D, B-O-U-D-I-A-B. Do you, do you want to just say that? So I, I'm sure that was correct. Nalabudyab.com. That's the website. Okay. Um, and be, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna spell it for people. It's N A H L A Nala Bud B O U D I A B dot com. Okay, go ahead. So people can go to your website and your book, Untamable. And where can they purchase that? Sounds like you put together a wonderful program, Nala. I'm very excited for the book that you created and the success that you have demonstrated. It's a breakthrough, you know, it's breakthrough work. It's transformational. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope that uh, I hope that everyone that reads this book actually goes through their own transformation because I will feel the energy and, and this will bring joy to me. Uh, the book is available on Amazon uh, and uh, Amazon or through my website, which will which which includes a link to Amazon as well. So once again, the title of Nala's book is Untamable: Claim Your Power, Live Fearlessly, and Become Unstoppable. A truly not just inspirational but practical, hands-on type of book that will give you the strategies and the know-how. To, uh, to claim your power, live fearlessly, and become unstoppable. Dr. Nala, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Congratulations on your book. Congratulations on the wonderful work you have 
brought into this world and the lives that you are changing. And, you know, it's a model of how we can really create success on all levels without the need for competition and struggle and greed. <laughs> I love it. I, I think it's truly inspirational. So thank you for the wonderful work that you are doing in the world. Thank you. And thank you for your contribution. Uh, I'm really privileged and honored uh, to be on your show, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share this. Thank you so much. Well, you are so welcome, and I thank all of my listeners for being part of this community on The Love Code. And until next time, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.